I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. On November 8th, Washington Post Live hosted a panel of conversations in its ongoing series, This is Climate, How We Live. I kick things off with Rob Ruba, winner of the 2023 James Beard Award for Outstanding Chef, and a discussion of why sustainability is the driving force behind his plant-based Michelin-starred restaurant, Oyster Oyster, here in Washington. So I made an admission to you back backstage um, that uh, I'm very provincial. Um, I rarely leave Northwest when it comes to to my culinary habits. So I'd never heard of Oyster Oyster and your reaction was rather surprising. You're like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Why? Explain why. Yeah, we've won a lot of accolades. We've, we've gotten a lot of recognition, but they still hear that there's individuals out there that haven't been to the restaurant or have any idea what it is. It gives us an opportunity for new guests to come in and experience what we do and open the doors to sustainability for them. So what was the catalyst for opening your restaurant? Because you've, you've worked for several Michelin-starred restaurants in New York and Chicago, uh, Las Vegas, Philadelphia. So why open your own restaurant? Um, you have control to make the, the change you want and you want to see. I worked in a lot of those restaurants for years and the status quo was what it was to be a Michelin star restaurant, to be a restaurant of excellence. And through some time of researching and looking at things, I realized those restaurants were far from sustainable. That was something that was very close to me and I wanted to, to implement. And it's hard to do that with other people pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. And so then talk more about your focus on, on sustainability. What's the driving force behind that? Uh, permanence. I, I love restaurants. I think they're fantastic. And what we're seeing happen with the climate crisis that we're going through, restaurants are a conduit for the whole food system, right? Like we, we deliver that to our guests. We're the people that kind of are the tastemakers of what is happening. Um, when I started thinking about this, I thought I would probably just quit and not cook, but I realized this is my soapbox. It's the only thing I know how to do, so let's do it correctly. Um, and I love restaurants, and I want there to be restaurants in the future. So I feel like we're, we're approaching the restaurant in a way that is a stepping stone to what restaurants will be in the future. Mm -hmm. So uh, explain, though, sustainability. How, how, how are you defining sustainability, and how does it manifest itself on your menu? Yeah, uh, sustainability can be a greenwashed word or something we don't know what it means. To us, it's about being a very responsible restaurant. Uh, we look at everything we do from the ground up and what's important about that, whether it be who is actually farming our food, what is the life like for the individual who's, who's picking the vegetables, is that sustainable? Is they, are they spraying with chemicals? No, we're gonna buy regenerative organic produce. Um, and then that's one thing to just get it through the door, but it's how we, how we actually create it now. Like there's one thing I could buy all these organic local ingredients and then cook them with commodity butter or, or on a bunch of fire gas and all this and kind of have these effects. So it's very important how we do it. We use like very little uh, extensive water use. We don't really have a water issue here in DC, but we see droughts all over. So we wanna work with that mindset of conservation of water use in a restaurant. Um, we use primarily induction cooking and electric cookware there, uh, really big on kind of no waste 
uh, really focusing on an ingredient saying, what parts of it can be reused? Can we make something interesting out of that? Um, we had like excess of bread at the restaurant for a while and we were like, well, we could turn this into breadcrumbs or croutons and all these things. And we ended up turning it into a miso exactly a year ago and now we have this beautiful fermented product that we can use on our menu now and kind of tell this story. Um, and then we've, we've pushed it really far uh, most recently. Uh, we got rid of all single-use bottles and cans of like beer and cider at the restaurant. And the only thing that was still around were bottles of wine because people enjoy drinking at a restaurant, right? We like those libations. Um, but we still had bottles and we know recycling exists, but there's a high percentage that doesn't even ever make it to a recycling facility. So we partnered with a local ceramic artist and... Um, with Rune Art Champagne, they were making this really new, awesome champagne. So we bought a bottle crusher. We now crush our wine bottles, um, turn it into sand, basically. And then our local ceramic artist, Material Things, turns that into plateware for the restaurant. So we're closing loops, finding ways to reuse everything and make it more sustainable. Can I bring you back to, um, you, you talked about waste. Um, and I, and this jumped out at me because the EPA reports that 30 to 40% of the U.S. food supply is wasted annually with more than 11 tons of waste per year coming from the restaurant industry alone. Mm -hmm. When it comes to reducing waste, does that translate into reduced portion size? No. Um, (laughs) Well, we do a tasting menu, right? So uh, I eat that menu every day, which is kind of cool. I get to eat a Michelin meal every single day. But uh, (laughs) uh, we want to make sure that it's you feel satiated afterwards, but you don't feel an overabundance. We want to make sure you're not leaving hungry because we don't want that story of I had to go get French fries or pizza after my dinner. Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So we we have to balance that. But it's not really it's more of having a portion control, I think, and making sure the meal as a whole is satisfying. Um, And that's kind of the beauty of it. The way we're doing the menu is that there's there's bites of things and diminishing return doesn't happen. You don't get bored of eating this giant portion of something. Um, yeah, that's one way. Uh, talk more about, uh, I'm going to bring you back to the ingredients and in the, in the sourcing of the ingredients uh, that you bring into the restaurant and that you make as part of, part of your tasting menu. Are there, are there ingredients that you, you don't use or at all for one reason or another? Or were there ingredients that you did use, but then you decided, and eh, this doesn't fit? with our sustainability model? Great question. I've got all the answers for you with that one. <laughs> um, so we, we do root our, our cuisine in, in the mid-Atlantic. So uh, we make sure everything that we're, we're cooking uh, represents where we are, a sense of time and place. So um, it, that even comes down to spices. We have a hard time acquiring a large enough amount uh, by anyone locally. So we do source some some spices from other parts of the world through a very um, good, good source. But um, we make sure that they're native here. So we don't have any cinnamon on the menu, vanilla. Uh, a lot of spices don't appear on our menu. Uh, we don't have coconut. We don't have cashews. We don't have almonds. These things that you would find normally in plant-based restaurants don't exist for us. So that always became a challenge because when I started to go down this road, you would find every recipe for a baked good has um, 
coconut or cashew cream or something like that in it and we can't use it. Um, so we've eliminated that. It's, it's really looking more into native and indigenous plants that are here in the wild forage realm and kind of bringing them into the forefront of uh, spices and ingredients that we could use. Uh, Appalachian allspice, also known as Lindera, is something we use in the restaurant. And that gives you perspective on what goes into the spice industry because our team of five picked three pounds of separating this berry and seed, um, which turns out when it's dried to maybe 16 ounces, and that took us about six hours to do. So you think when you buy that little $5 bottle of spices on the counter, who's really behind that? Um, and then we, we are primarily plant-based. We do cook with butter occasionally, um, but eggs were something we always struggled with. Like, did they make sense with their food or not? And we realized uh, with the last big increase in pricing and all that, it didn't make sense anymore on the menu. Um, I, you used to have avocados. Um, no, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm misreading this. It says early sketches of the menu had to constantly be revised. Uh -huh. Avocados and citrus fruits aren't found in any dishes since it's hard to grow them at scale in the D.C. area, which you kind of explained. But this is the one that just made me go. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. Monarchmoney.com slash podcast. What? There's no olive oil. No. And I love olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandmother used to massage my head with olive oil when I was a baby, you know? Make sure it was nice and round. I don't know if that worked out, but yeah. So, so no, no olive oil because, well, I'm, I haven't seen an olive tree uh, anywhere around here. So that's, that, that is the reason exactly. why. Exactly. So you, you used to be a meat eater. Now you're a vegetarian. Um, was the decision behind that, do, was that related to climate change? I think that's the tipping point for me, mm -hmm. was that. Um, I always was fascinated by it. Early in my career, I had kind of wanted to dabble with it, but it'd be hard to keep rising up in the ranks in the kitchen. If you, if you can't eat the duck, you don't cook the duck, right? Mm. So um, uh, then around 2016, I started to look into it, and I could see what was happening, and it kind of built up, built up, and I just had to make that change from there. Um so I'm a meat eater. Convince me why I should change course and become vegetarian. Well, you haven't been the oyster oyster yet. So <laughs> okay, that, so that's, that's how that, we're going to do that. Step one. Okay. I think the plant kingdom is so exciting. Like for me, I've cooked everything under the sun. I've prepared it. I've eaten it. And now um, this is probably the most exciting cooking I've ever done in my career. I think there's so much you can do. Um, I think vegetables are generally like the side and they're not treated with the same attention to detail. And once you do that, I think the flavors are remarkable. Yeah. 
Um, let me bring you back to your conversation where you were telling us about, about spices and looking for local in ingredients. Is there something that you found or that your team found that completely surprised you in a good way uh, in terms of bringing it to the menu and, put, and putting it in food? Oh, that's a great one. Um, wow, there's so many. I would go back to the, the spice bush was, was really a great thing. I mean, it took a lot of work, but it replaced a lot of things first. It kind of has citrus notes to it. It has spice. It brings in that all-spice warming thing that you would get from cinnamon and uh, really played an amazing, amazing role in our menu now. Um, you, you've said, and I'm quoting you back to you, sustainability is not just about our environment. It's also about ourselves. Um, you've prioritized working conditions and mental health, but can you explain what you meant by this? I came up in kitchens where you would get a pan thrown at you, screamed at all day, uh, work seven days a week for 20 hours a day, get paid for eight of those hours. Um, <laughs> and that's not how anyone should, should operate, right? And when we built this restaurant out, we wanted to kind of break down those barriers. There's always a term front of the house and back of the house. We consider it more one house. Uh, servers and cooks work in unison. Uh, our culinary team will run food and talk to guests. Uh, we make sure we're closed two days a week, which are Sunday and Monday for us. Sunday, they get a day with their friends who are work normal office hours. And then Monday is a beautiful day to have off because everyone else is at work and you have the world to yourself. Um, we close twice a, twice a year for a full week, sometimes 10 days uh, a section. And that's a paid vacation for everyone. We completely close the restaurant down. Uh, we think that's great because it gives you a sense of relaxation. You're not worried about someone else working your station or anything along the lines of that. Um, we pay everyone extremely well, um, above average for anything in the industry. Um, our porter dishwasher is probably one of the highest paid people in our restaurant. They are the hardest working people in restaurants. And we want to make sure that that's a respected uh, position. Um, yeah, it's just try to create a healthy culture where laughter is encouraged over being angry. Yeah. Um, ooh, so many questions I have based <laughs> out of that answer, and I'm going to try to get through them in the seven minutes and 15 <laughs> seconds that we have left. So let me bring you to paying your, your employees very well. Um, what do you say to restaurateurs who, who don't follow your example, who say, um, oh, no, I can't afford to pay people what, they, what they're worth or, or what they deserve. Otherwise, we'll go out of business. I think the model was built on being exploitive from the beginning. And I think you have to change your model to get to that point. Um, after COVID, we saw a large drop in the workforce in general. I think there was a lot of things. You know, We saw a lot of abuse and sexual harassment stuff prior to that that made the industry kind of ugly. And it's time to make it exciting and more attractive again. And I think it should, it's something we all go and do. We love going out to eat. It's a form of entertainment and escapism. And the people that are behind that are just as important as anything else, whether you go see musicians play or actors, um, they deserve to be living a good life as well. How many of you have seen the bear? So when he initially started answering the question um, about the working conditions, how many of you immediately, as soon as he said people have had pans thrown at them and people are yelling and screaming all the time, did any of you instantly think, 
oh, I saw that on the bear. Oh, not, I, mean, I see you. <laughs> I, I, I have seen the bear. Um, as someone who likes to eat but hates to cook, I've found it thoroughly fascinating. Um, I, which came first? Your, your vision of what a kitchen should look like or, and how, it should, how it should, a restaurant should operate, or the bear as we see it go from the, the, the arc of going from pure chaos to this beautifully run, mach not machine, but you know what I mean, beautifully yeah. run restaurant where everyone's in harmony, everyone is on the same page. I think it came first wanting that and building that. We, we build up very slow. When we first opened, it was myself and two other cooks and we were the dishwashers and we were the prep team and we slowly added individuals to the team that were gonna gel and make the culture we wanted um, rather than try to hire a huge team and work out all those situations. <laughs> um, so we started very small and just expanded and expanded and now we have a, a very large team of 12 with our service team and our uh, back of the house team, now kitchen. So then what's your advice for the next generation of chefs of, of, or, or restaurateurs who also want to uh, prioritize the culture that you're talking about, but more importantly, um, this mode of sustainability that you've brought to Oyster Oyster? Yeah. Um, one, don't waste your time at culinary school. It's, it's very expensive. Oh. And they're going to probably teach you things that aren't going to be relevant. Um, I'd say find a good mentor. Um, and somebody do some research about the restaurant, find out if they're doing things in a sustainable manner, if they're thinking progressive and looking towards the future and work under, under that person and that team and, and gain as much as you can. Um, read, read a lot of books. Don't just read cookbooks. There's so much good literature out there about climate crisis, sustainability, et cetera, that will really guide you in the direction you need to go in this career. Oh, I forgot to ask one, one more thing about, um, um, at Oyster Oyster, do you, do you add the tip in, into the price, into the check, or is tipping uh, allowed at your restaurant? It's, it's allowed. It's not necessarily encouraged, but if someone's like, I had an amazing time, I want you all to have a little extra, um, they can go ahead and do that, but it's already added in when you make your reservation into the fee. Yeah. Um, last question for you. As I mentioned uh, earlier, you are the winner of the 2023 James Beard uh, Outstanding Chef Award. Uh, you've, got, you, you've got your Michelin star last year. What, does, what do these recognitions mean to you? Um, to me, uh, it's satisfying, but I think for the work we're doing at the restaurant, it means a lot more. I think one, cooking primarily plant-based food, kind of in this relaxed environment that we're doing and this, this culture that can seem lackadaisical at times to get these accolades is, is very rewarding and, and encouraging for others that they can, they can do this too, right? Like if you're chasing these, these goals that you can achieve them and have a good time too. Um, I've always wondered with the Michelin star, is that something you apply for or someone just someone from Team Michelin shows up and suddenly they're there in your in, in your restaurant and then you find out months later that you, you got this star? Yeah, it's like a Santa Claus type of thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't you they keep it very unwrapped. Who's who, you know, I mean, you can find out who critics are sometimes for for different publications, but um. 
this, I have no idea who they are. And then you find out months later. Last night we were in New York City for the unveiling of it. And I took a very early train this morning to be here. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, which makes me wonder, I've seen lots of stories in the last couple of years about restaurateurs who've had Michelin stars and they give them back. They say, you know, I, I know I don't I don't want this because the standards are so high, which means you have to jack up the prices uh, on the menu. And sometimes you, the prices go beyond the community that the restaurant is in. Do you worry about that? Um, hmm, that's great. I, I try not to let the pressure get to us. I think I always want to keep our eye on the prize of working every day to be a better restaurant, a more responsible restaurant, a better place to work at, a better place for our community, as well as a restaurant that's gonna be better for the future. And I think that's always our goal. And if it doesn't fit into these boxes over time, that's fine because that's priority number one. So um, for someone like me who's never been, never been to Oyster Oyster, give me the 42 second pitch. <laughs> oh, that's why we didn't get many investors. I'm not good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so we're, we, we cook a seasonal menu, uh, mid-Atlantic ingredients. Uh, it's a tasting menu format, and you're going to really taste what is at the peak of the season uh, with a beautiful uh, wine selection of biodynamic and organic wines that can be paired with your meal, as well as some house-made juices that are uh, curated in-house as well for non-alcoholic pairings. At the end of your meal, you'll be presented with your menu because a lot of people don't like certain vegetables and we don't want them to have something already Ooh, going up here. Okay. So we give it to you at the end. Uh, and that menu is printed on recycled paper with wild flower seeds. And in the spring and summer, you can plant your menu and grow pollinators for the region. For someone who's not good at, a, at, at pitching, you did an amazing <laughs> job. <laughs> Rob Ruba, winner of the 2023 James Beard Award for Outstanding Chef of the Michelin-starred restaurant Oyster Oyster. I love saying that. Uh, thank you very <laughs> thank much you. for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Capehart. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at KpartJ. Part J.